From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., you're listening to a special series of the HPS Insights podcast on how to get a job in D.C., hosted by HPS partner Matt McDonald. Matt oversees recruiting at the firm and has brought together academic leaders, career experts, DC insiders, and HPS associates for a series of episodes on how to succeed in the DC recruiting process. We talked on the last show about how to think about your activities and studies in college. For this show, we wanted to turn to the idea of telling your story of the things that you have done to the people at the places you want to work. So for that, we're going to talk a lot about resumes and cover letters and some of the tactical side of that. In this conversation, we're joined by uh, two people who have probably seen a lot of both of those. Shanley Bryan is the Assistant Director at Dartmouth Center for Professional Development, and Bob Coates is the Assistant Director for Co-Curricular Programs at the Rockefeller Center for Public Policy. Um, in Bob's role, he's done a lot of advising on internships, and in Shanley's role, she works with students on putting their best foot forward, finding the right fit. So this should be a great conversation. Thank you to both of you for joining us today. I want to start the conversation with a bit of a macro question because um, I know we will get into kind of the tactical aspects of like making each bullet sing on a resume and that sort of thing. But but I, I am curious for for the students that you both work with, how often do they actually think about their resume, their cover letter as the story of what they've done? I think so often people think about their resume as a summary, as a summary sheet that is a um, one size fits all um, for individual opportunities. And that is a big challenge when you, when you apply for positions, because I think that the best applications are always a frame in some ways for your experience. So you want to present your experience to your audience in a way that resonates with your reader. And that shows that that you understand the context of the position that you're applying and that presents your material in a very succinct and relevant way. I mean, one of the things about writing the resume is that one, it, it very much is a list, right? So thinking about how you make a list really seem like a story is complicated, right? And then the other thing is that the resume is all about you, but it's not for you, right? And the exercise of like decentering yourself enough to have to really put your shoes in the person, the audience of the resume is, uh, is both difficult. And I think something that's particularly hard, maybe at the front end of your career, where you're just trying to get it across the finish line. Well, and I think one of the most important things that you can do before you even put together your resume for a specific position is talk to people working in the field or in the type of position that you're looking for. And one of my favorite questions for students to ask um, is simply, what is something that no one ever asks you that you really should? And I'll, I'll never forget early in my career, I interviewed someone with the American Institute of, of Architects and I asked him, you know, what is the one skill that students need when they're coming out of school? And I, I was so certain that it was going to be all about design and all about architecture. And he said, without a doubt, it is project management. You can't get any designs built unless you have really strong communication skills, the ability to budget the ability to forecast and the ability to communicate on those throughout every stage of the process. So 
really finding out the things that are important to your potential employer and then making sure to get that experience into your resume. So for example, if you're applying to a think tank and they're looking for experience in data analytics, having that experience front and center um, and possibly even in a, um, a non-chronological format so that you have a, a section, the section that tees up your relevant experience comes before your additional experience that may be important, but not related. So really similar to a story, thinking about, you know, what are, what are the key plot points that I need to get in the audience's mind quickly so they'll keep reading? So Bob, for the students who are thinking about the public policy space, is that generally, do, do you think that they have a sense for that approach and what the, the people in DC look for when they're thinking about people who are coming fresh to the world of politics and policy? I, I think not, only because they haven't, they haven't had the experience yet. I see a lot of resumes that come with applications for Rockefeller Center funded internships. And um, the, the, the story piece of what you're talking about resonates with me because it is actually a line that I use in their interview process um, in, in that I ask that question, what, you know, what's the story of your, uh, of your internship proposal? What, what is that story? And, and how does that um, fit with your uh, academic career at Dartmouth? And how does it relate to what you're interested in doing as you know, as far out as you can see, uh, in terms of your your career, so the the story piece becomes the conversation in the interview. The resume, to my mind, relates directly to that. It it should be the beginning of that story because it's what I'm going to read in preparation for that um, for that interview. And we know that um, well, there's all kinds of t- statistics about you know, how quickly resumes get put aside. Um, so the resume has to be has to be strong and it has to be um, oriented towards the direction that you're going in, whatever that is, first job, internship. And I think the, um, the key piece is the resume does, in fact, need to tell a story. How do you both think about the, uh, the cover letter as a complement to the resume? I will say from the employer side, there are occasions where we, we have a little bit of a different approach. We kind of have a, I think we have a prompt in somewhere in the uh, I mean, I think we do cover letters, but we also have some sort of prompt. It's kind of like what interests you about our firm, right? That kind of directly goes to some of that sort of stuff. And I've definitely talked to employers who don't pay attention to the cover letters at all, or maybe the cover letter comes into a later phase once they've kind of narrowed the candidate field. Nobody likes cover letters that call the company the wrong name, but aside from that, how do you how do you approach uh, the cover letter piece of of an application? How do you think about that? I mean, I'd, I'd say the cover letter is the opportunity uh, in in real prose format, um, you know, to to amplify or weave together uh, a structured resume, which is a bit harder to do in the resume document itself. So the, the cover letters that that um, work for me and and you know. In terms of effectiveness are the ones that certainly are, are appear to be authentic that help amplify the, the overall story that that person is trying to tell in an internship application um, and are, you know, are certainly not uh, stay, you know, staying away from sort of the generic. 
I think a great cover letter is a conversation and it, it really provides an overview of why the candidate wants to work for the employer and shows, and in my experience, the best cover letters are the ones that are the most fun to read and the most upfront. Virtually all employers have the same questions when they post positions. How does your experience qualify for you for this position? How did you hear about it? Which is really important to employers who are doing their recruiting work, but isn't always something that people think about, you know, do you know anyone that, that works here? Have you been exposed um, to our organization in the past? What is your familiarity with the landscape? And um, why are you interested? Um, I often encourage people to think about cover letters as, as if they were preparing for a date. <laughs> you know, what are the things that you want to know um, about that particular employer and, and showing them that you're enthusiastic about it without jumping off the page. Um, one of the things that, that was a huge turnoff for me is boastful language. Like, I know I'm the perfect fit for you. You, you know, if, if, if someone asked you out and said that, you would think this is really creepy. Um, they don't know me. They're being presumptuous or um, extreme words like extremely, I'm the ideal fit. Adjectives and adverbs like that turn me off. But if you can give tangible examples um, and show that you've taken the time to research the employer, I, I think that's a huge difference. So, for example, if you're applying to work at a think tank and you're interested in a particular policy area and you mention reading an article that someone at that think tank wrote and how you quoted it in your paper, you've probably put yourself a couple miles ahead of other applicants that easily. Um, and we routinely at Dartmouth, um, we survey employers who recruit on campus um, and, and conduct virtual interviews that are arranged through our office. And we always ask, what are the things, what are the areas in which people can improve? And one of the most standard pieces of feedback that we consistently receive year over year, and again, I'm using an adverb there inconsistently, um, so I'd probably take that off of the cover letter. Um, but the, the most common piece of feedback that we get is they didn't seem familiar enough with what we do. They, they didn't take the time to learn about our organization enough and what's important to us. And that's something you can almost always do through websites, through conversations with people, through background research. And I think it can make a huge difference in the application and the cover letter. So I have not read many cover letters that have been fun to read. That is a, that is a different <laughs> bar, I would say, in terms of what you're aiming for. So, I mean, you know it when you see it, but how do you give advice to students on how to, how to get there without crossing some of the lines that you identified too? Because I think that, I mean, it's an interesting exercise of like, look, there's there's probably lots of people applying for lots of jobs. And some of this is just a matching exercise, you know, but, but how um, you want to stand out, but you don't want to stand out in the wrong way. So what is that? And knowing there's not a formula, what are some of the tips to kind of make it compelling without, uh, you know, without being the person that you, you don't want to have a first date with, never mind a second date? Well, I'll give you a, a perfect example from my experience. Um, last year, um, during the height of COVID, I worked with a student who had taken some time off. Um, a lot of people have taken time off over the past year. 
And she was very nervous approaching the recruiting process and, and she was applying um, for consulting positions because she'd just come off of working for three months as a barista at Starbucks. And instead of saying, um, you know, I offer you demonstrated problem solving skills, she talked about how she knew that problem solving was important to consulting and that in her work as a barista at Starbucks, she had helped them redesign the process when they were starting back. And they'd actually improved their customer satisfaction rating during the pandemic um, on the basis of of some changes that she made. And she actually ended up getting a very high yield of um, interview opportunities. And and she is in a position now, which was exciting, but she she essentially told what happened. um, And she showed, instead of just saying something, she she exemplified what her English teacher probably told her many years ago, which was just, just to give her examples rather than just to simply tell. Yeah. She did that within the frame of showing that she understood the position. Yeah. And one thing I want to call out on that is, you know, one of the things that they um, pounded into us in business school when we were doing resume prep and that sort of thing is the importance of talking, you know, again, transitioning from a list to a story is the difference between saying what you did and what impact you had. Right. So mm-hmm. not, not just thinking about, oh, here's what I came into the office and I checked the mail and I did this and blah, blah, blah. But, but like, what was the result at the end of the day? Right. Not only the list of, of tasks that you were assigned. It's a, you know, classically in uh, that cover letter, it's important not to describe how you think the company can necessarily help you, but the reverse. What is it? You know, what, what, who are you as part of that story in the cover letter is, um, very succinctly communicating what your contribution can be to that organization, whatever it is. And that becomes important. And that, you know, from my experience, that that first paragraph becomes vital, Um, how that gets composed and how you sort of lead into that uh, is the difference between reading more and not reading more of that cover letter. On the flip side, thinking about the, um, the resume itself. And I want to talk a little bit about how you both think about effective resumes but in terms of like having a uh, of having something that stands out versus something that doesn't, how do you both feel about high design resumes that have kind of the colors and the layout is different than the usual stuff that you see? What what's what's your what's both of your opinions on that? I think you can be stylized if you're applying to something in a really creative field and you're applying in conversation with the person, but most employers are using applicant tracking software to scan resumes and those parse text from right to left. And sometimes they can't tell the difference between an I and an L, and they're only about five fonts um, that really get all the information. So I encourage people not to be creative when they're applying um, online for, a, for any position that has an application, because even in some cases, the standard business school format, um, which has the dates in a different place um, that, for example, the dates on the left, um, if you're jumping over, it might not go through the scanner properly. So really trying to think about those electronic eyes and making your resume kind of a little bit uglier um, as a start. I'd, I'd say style should not trump substance. And there've been those resumes that, that, certainly I've received where 
you, you kind of do a double take. It just, you, you, what you're looking to do is get to the essence of the resume and sometimes design can get in the way. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a strong view on this. I would say it does. It basically depends on the substance, but from a design perspective, if the design makes the substance easier to take in, Mm -hmm. that's great. But if the design is just to gussy it up and make it kind of stand out in the pile, that's probably, you're probably in the wrong zone then if it's just kind of fancy for the sake of fancy, as opposed to kind of like making it easier to digest. Um, But Chainly, I didn't, uh, I hadn't thought of the, um, the kind of uh, algorithmic intake that happens in a lot of these job sites. That is a good, that is a good tactical tidbit for people as they're thinking about these things. Well, and they really scan it for keywords and they, they scan it for keywords and it, it gets a relevance rank a lot of times before it even gets read by human eyes. So really focusing on those keywords, making sure that you're looking in the, the job description. And that's another case for why thinking of your resume as a story rather than that you customize for each audience that you're applying to rather than individually is important. Um, so talk to me about, how, all right, so two things. One is that um, this skill set at the top exercise of relevant skills and that sort of thing. I usually skip that. I kind of scan the rest of the resume to I'm kind of in the like, show me, don't tell me like to your point on the ad, ad, the uh, adverbs of like how great the fit is and stuff. That's, that's my job to assess. And I'm going to go look for, it's fine if you say that you have these skills, but I'm going to go look through the resume and figure out whether in fact you have the skills or have the experience that would indicate that you have the skills that match up with what we're looking for. So I, I, I usually discount the, a, um, the top section on that, but that's us. Like when, when is that soup? Is that a helpful way to enter in keywords? If there's like an algorithmic exercise or, what is a useful, I know I'm, I'm dwelling on the format here, but when, what is the useful time to think about that top bit? I think one thing you can do is you can, um, you can actually take the job description and you can dump it into one of those old fashioned blog tag, tag clouds, like tag crowd is one of my favorite ones and see what pops out. Um, I think one thing that's important is to think about how your resume is different after college than before college. Like, so our standard resume templates um, for undergraduates never have a summary up at the top. But I think, you know, once you've graduated from college, you can absolutely put a summary and should um, that shows how you're relevant up in the header, sometimes with three key items um, that are taken directly from the, from the position. So for example, if, if they're looking for project management and research, those may be keywords or those may be your, in your included in your three starting bullets before your other sections of your resume. That makes sense. Bob, Bob, what do you hear from, what do you hear from, uh, you know, places that are hiring in interns in the policy space? How do they, how do they review this stuff? Um, and what do you hear there? Well, our, certainly on the internship side here at the Rockefeller Center, the, the interns themselves have to go through a process of, securing their internship before they then apply uh, to Rocky for, for funding. And so we, you know, try and, and CPD does this as well, assisting those undergraduates with position themselves for success with those organizations to secure an internship. I think that, you know, I, I, my process on, on the funding application side and, and from what I hear from talking to longtime internship uh, organizational hosts that we've had is that 
they, and, and this is really a, a reputation that Dartmouth has, is sort of the rigor of the academic experience and skills that these undergraduates um, have gained, even, even in a short time, even as a, a sophomore at Dartmouth, are really what they're looking at. So, you know, they, they may see a list of skills at the top of a resume. They're going to continue to look down and see what, what that context was and what, and what that level of rigor is. Um, and I'd say you know, the same kind of thing. Is there, is there a passion in a, in, a, in a, um, a compelling story that they tell as to why this internship, in particular as a, um, you know, as a developmental experience, professional experience, how compelling is that story? I think the host organizations are looking very hard at skill sets. Somebody like the Brookings Institute is a very high bar for analytics and research and writing. So those kinds of things need to come through um, in, in their resume and cover letters to an organization like Brookings. How do you, um, how do you both advise students on the, um, I guess, shaping the resume is maybe the, the best way of putting it. But like, I don't know, the general puffery that comes along with a resume, it's like tough to talk about yourself. Sometimes you have an internship where you know, for whatever reason, like you just weren't asked to do much. It's kind of like you're, you're in the office, you're getting a professional exposure, but not necessarily experience per se. There's, you know, a lot of students will do a lot of different things on campus, sampling different stuff. What do you include? What do you leave off? How do you think about that shaping side of it? And, and what's your counsel there? Well, one of the first things that I say to students is, it's really important to develop good relationships with your employers. And even if you think an internship may not have had substantive work, ask your supervisor for help in framing. And especially in Washington, I think it's incredibly important. There's my adverb use again, sorry. Uh, (laughs) It's incredibly important to get feedback on on how your work was used. And if you can quantify and qualify your experiences in your bullets, that's really important. So uh, when I was in college, I worked for International Paper and I literally edited a phone book for a summer. And I would call people all day. I would say, Matt, you know, um, is this your phone number? And I would repeat your number. And because I reached you at that phone number. Wait, 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 sidebar. How did you call them? If you, if you on the phone number, if you were trying to verify the phone number, how does that work? That's exactly, it was, it was verifying the information. So I was doing quality assurance work to verify the number. You're calling and saying, this is. Calling you, Matt, is this your phone number? And you were trying not to laugh and say, of course, this is my phone number. You reached me. Um, But at the end of the summer, I asked my supervisor, you know, how do I write this up? And he said, well, you were one of two people verifying you know, working on the telecommunications directory for a Fortune 100 company, you know, which sounds a lot more impressive than I called Matt using the number I already had to make sure Matt's number worked. (laughs) I think the the notion that resumes are, in fact, a a marketing tool. Uh, They're not simply a restatement or a a job or academic transcript, per se. So... um, you know, looking at it, looking at it like that without obviously going overboard, 
but but lo- really looking at it as a as a as a tool to sell yourself and sell your story. Yeah, and I I would add to that is that depending on your personality type, talking about yourself or selling yourself can be complicated. Yes, and having your peers review it, having former bosses review it, having your career center review it and like look at it from the outside and probe and ask those questions, I think is helpful. It can raise questions of clarity that you want to revisit. It can help illuminate for other people what you really did if they don't understand it. I mean, it's like anything else is that proofing, proofing, proofing and reproofing will make it better too. Um, And then we didn't touch on, and I'm curious for this too, is that, you know, how do you approach not only kind of the, the telling of what you, what you have, but what's your guidance on how much stuff to put in the resume or what to exclude or how to think about some of that stuff? Cause you definitely, I, on some level, as I, as I'm on the recipient side, I'd rather see kind of like two relevant experiences and maybe one, something interesting than like five experiences, four of which are all over the map and one of which is matters. Cause I, I think that, and I don't think that this is um, I think this is reasonable, but a lot of people in college are still exploring what they want to do. And that's, that's kind of fair and appropriate. Um, at the same time as an employer, I'm much more likely to pick the person who's clearly really into the type of work that we do than someone who, you know, Oh, going to DC for the summer. That sounds cool. That's not <laughs> what I'm looking for. So how do you how do you counsel them on shaping those experiences and how to think about i mean it's a you know it's it's fine that people explore but how do you how do you counsel them on what to put in what not to put in how to shape that i think it's important to think about your resume as almost a piece of real estate that's limited in sort of the amount of space it should be limited some people view it as a piece of real estate that can be expanded into multiple pages and that is that is a no go Right. But, but for, for the most part, um, really thinking about it as an executive summary that puts your experience within the frame of the position. Again, going back to the frame of the position that you're, that you're looking for. And, and in some cases, like, let's say again, you're, you're applying for a research position and you've had a lot of traditional, um, summer work experiences or internship experiences, or maybe you, you fill in every holiday at your local grocery store. That may become a line, you know, because most people know what a cashier is. Um, and you might um, instead provide a project description of a research um, paper that you wrote. And, and sometimes, and thinking about, you know, how many original sources did you get through in a short time to produce the paper that resulted in an academic citation and sharing that information and thinking in some ways about what is, what is it about your experience too that's unique that you might need to tell someone. So a classic example um, of something that might go in a cover letter for someone um, from Dartmouth is that Dartmouth is one of the is the only Ivy on the quarter system term. And so all of our classes are in a very tight timeline. Um, And so students are reading and synthesizing an extraordinary amount of information in eight to 10 weeks routinely, combining that with other classes at the same time 
and then resting up for two weeks, two to three weeks, and then doing it all over again. (laughs) So that, you know, for the person that's familiar with our school, employers can pretty much know that they're getting that in a candidate and you can, you can reference that in a cover letter, but on a resume, giving examples that are, um, that are tangible where, when you can give metrics, providing those metrics and how your information was used and really thinking most about what's going to be relevant to my audience. I would only add that I think this is the universal truth about internships or apprenticeships. If, if you can find, if you have, if you have the means, and this is the value that the Rockefeller Center places on internships that it has, um, named internships and uh, previous classes that are, are sponsoring internships because they recognize the value of that experience in, in terms of shaping the future direction of uh, Dartmouth graduates. So um, if you can, you can find that time within those four years and it, it can be during, um, you know, during college or certainly one summer out of, you know, out of three um, that you can commit to an internship that's going to give you some real substance to be able to take into uh, a job search. All right. One, one final question that I want to think about that, that uh, is, I would say a bit of a tension with some of the pieces that we've been talking about so far, because obviously as an employer, you really want to see the person who like loves your company so much and has done all the research and it's a perfect fit and all the rest of it. Um, But the reality is that job hunts are a matching process and not every place is going to be a match. Not every place is going to have a need. There's just a, there's, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, So even as you're trying to tailor it for the job, the reality is that you need to apply to more than one job, right? So there is a natural tension between just the volume of applications that you want to be sending out. And then the effort that you put into each application to make sure it hits the target. So as we, as we kind of think about like actually like getting these suckers out the door, how do you guys counsel students on volume, on targeting, on the numbers game side of this and how they should kind of incorporate that into their thinking? Because I, I also think that it's very, there's some element here where it's, it's healthy to appreciate that like sometimes it's not you. Sometimes they just don't have a job. Like you just need to kind of like, you need to kind of keep, pumping it out the door because it's easier to approach some of this stuff as a volume game than uh, than internalize it on some sort of judgment on your experience and worth as a person, which, you know, when you're applying for jobs, it's, it's, it can get easy to go down that, that road and you don't, it doesn't help. I think first you should isolate a few um, key themes that make your experience and skill set relevant for particular areas. So for example, if you want to work in consulting or you want to work for a think tank or you want to work for an NGO, writing down those bullet points for yourself in, in advance and, and knowing how that part of this important is really critical. And then you can have, in some cases, some boilerplate language that you use to talk about yourself in multiple positions. I'm not saying you should redo your resume every time you apply for a position. I'm saying you should tweak it and have save as, and you can have, you know, 40 different versions of your resume that you've used to apply for specific positions. Um, I think it's just really important um, 
to do that work in advance. Um, years ago, I had the opportunity of working for a CEO who had um, who worked in the recruiting space and who trains companies on how to find people um, on the web. And one of the things he did a survey of 6,600 hires based on when they'd applied and when they'd gotten the job. And of those 50% of the people who got jobs applied within the first week. So I think a lot of times you, you start, we started out today by asking about sort of misconceptions. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people often have is if I wait for two days, I'll sleep on it and figure out the perfect thing to say in this application. And sometimes that's a mistake because, you know, outside of the recruiting process, um, you know, people are wanting to post a position and start reviewing applications in a shorter time than it takes to drive around the beltway. You know, so having your, you know, having that, those core elements of your narrative and your fit for a particular position ready is important. And then applying when you see positions. And if you have real in-person contacts, just touching base and say, hey, you know, Matt, I wanted to let you know, I saw HPS is, is hiring for a position. I just wanted to let you know, I'm popping over my application this morning. Matt, I, I would just add that, um, you know, there, there definitely are sector resumes, as Chanley was mentioning. And, and I think that obviously saves some time because if you're, you know, from the finance sector or like like mentions think tanks public policy then you're probably um you're probably 80 percent the way there and then it's it is tweaking i do think the value of an informational interview with folks who are in the sector that you are interested in can be invaluable so the time spent with folks and and folks love to talk about their careers their trajectory how they got there their stories that can give you real insight um, in, in particularly the resume. Yes. But also in, in, in uh, what, what will come, which are, you know, the interviews um, and obviously rejection is part of the process. Um, there's a, a, a undergraduate here who pieced together four terms to make something of a gap year. And uh, his ratio of acceptances was, um, uh, was quite amazing in terms of the, you know, the amount of time he put into getting uh, requests for internships out there. So, that's that's just something that has to be embraced. It only takes one. <laughs> that's right. Listen, Chanley and Bob, thank you so much for the conversation today. This was um, this was a, a great discussion and a, a great lead on how to to think about uh, some of these issues. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com.